0: Welcome, everyone. Today's session is being interpreted into Spanish. Uh, Sam or Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices?
1: Yes. Thank you for having
2: us. This is Sam Guzman with the CLC. And along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish through Zoom. I'll now give the instructions in Spanish. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzman, con la CLC. Y juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español a través de eso. Si desea escuchar la reunión en español, simplemente vaya al icono del globo en su pantalla que dice interpretación y de ahí seleccione el idioma de español y así podrá escuchar. Muchas
3: gracias and thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Sam. Uh, welcome to the general public comment session of December 11th. Before reconvening our regular meeting, Council provides a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. To maximize time for resident comment, council will not offer responses or comments from the dais. Council or staff may contact speakers following your comment if you raise matters that lend themselves to follow up. For those participating in person when called upon, please come to the podium. On the monitor on the wall you'll see your time counting down for those participating virtually when called upon please wait until our host promotes you to speaker please accept this promotion turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone all speakers should begin their remarks by telling council your name and you'll have three minutes to speak please refrain from profane or obscene speech direct your comments to council as a whole and refrain from individual or personal attacks including disparaging other speakers motives we will begin uh, virtually with Amanda Allhouse.
4: Hi, good evening. Uh, my name is Amanda Allhouse. I live in District 8 near the Quebec corridor. I followed the Housing 1000 initiative since Mayor Johnson took office. On July 18th, September 12th, I attended RNO specific meetings with the mayor to hear about the plan. But then in November, things changed. Uh, There have been a rapid fire of five topic-specific meetings, but without a cohesive plan to address major changes that might be coming to the Northeast Corridor. I'm here to address four points and to request a public meeting on this topic. The original plan was different than what we see now. We know this works, but slow down, show us your work, and long-term plans, they're either vague or bad. Number one, Michael Johnson presents the current idea, suggesting that there is a mandate for this. Whereas differences between the original plan and the current plan are plentiful. The original proposed plan spread spread across all 11 council districts versus the geographic clustering in District 8. The current proposal has 50% in District 8. Even with 1,000 more units added next year, we'd still have a quarter in District 8. We would need 6,000 units to be part of the Housing 1,000 plan for this to be uniformly distributed across all all 11 districts. Originally, there was a proposal to focus on keeping people sheltered near their encampments. The current plan will absolutely shift people from downtown to, in, to hotels along the Quebec corridor. This will change dynamics in Northeast Park Hill, Central Park, Montbello, and along the Smith Road in Quebec and Sand Creek corridors. Number two, we know this works, but... Mayor Johnson has stated that we know that this plan works, so there's no reason to roll things out slowly. However, differences in the current implementation from prior instances are plentiful, including we have different people, different populations, a different era with fentanyl, uh, different staff with different training, and we're in a different city with different geographic issues, weather, transportation, and proximity to other regions. These differences don't mean that the plan's going to fail, but we should be cautious about assuming that the approach is one size fits all. We should be searching for what nuances make our approach unique and require fine-tuning, and this will help us and other cities in the future. Number three, slow down and show us the details. How will we define success? How will we define failure? How will neighborhoods be enhanced by these sites? And how will good neighbor agreements have teeth in order to protect people who have invested in their homes and district 8? finally, long-term plans should not leave people in bad areas. The proposal to rezone industrial parcels for long-term housing will leave people living in areas that are not designed thoughtfully to support healthy living. The lack of environmental assessment of these spaces, their proximity to ongoing pollutants, and just a poor built environment is going to leave people set up to do poorly in shelter but not thriving. Thank Please you very don't
0: much. Our next speaker joins us in chambers, and that's Keith Pryor.
5: Good evening, Council. Thanks so much. My name is Keith Pryor. I'm at uh, 2418 Champa Street in District 9. Um, I wanted to start out by thanking the business community earlier this week uh, in moving forward Bill 231887 forward to uh, support one million one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the downtown denver partnership for the activation of the 16th street mall during the reconstruction and reopening of the mall um, this is critical <coughs> to downtown um, as you may or may not know the downtown vacancy rate currently sits at 33 percent. compare that to cherry creek which is at two percent and i think there's some really stark reasons why that is because downtown is currently not clean it's not safe for people to go to and a lot of these storefronts and a lot of these businesses are not activated because of the current state of downtown Um, and so this $1,150,000 if you would approve it will go a long way in helping revitalize our downtown which is a key economic generator not only for the city of Denver but also for the for the Rocky Mountain region. The um, Without a vibrant and safe and clean downtown we will face budget shortfalls and cuts to many services that affect the most vulnerable in our city so we do need to make sure our city is very vibrant and generating the economic income so we can benefit those that are less fortunate. Speaking of vibrant and safe and clean downtown I'm asking you to vote no and not support the bill that's being forwarded uh, by two Council members bill number 231868 this proposes to raise the temperature to activate cold weather shelters. And prevent unhoused camp cleanups during these times. This has never been an issue. Both the current and prior administration have never performed a cleanup in inclement weather. This is a direct assault on the will of the Denver voters, and it's an unnecessary piece of legislation. The mayor has already agreed to look at increasing temperatures for activating cold weather shelters, putting this into charter as a significant layer of bureaucracy that is unneeded and that it makes the mayor and the current flexibility to open shelters given the cold weather weather conditions even more difficult. This legislation would actually make it harder for the mayor and the city to be nimble to address large encampments and the health and safety issues they create by limiting when and how these cleanups could take place. This is not a good policy. This legislation is thinly veiled attempt to go against the will of the people. It will prevent encampment cleanups and enforce and the enforcement of the camping ban, which was supported by over 82% of the Denver voters. This legislation is not about helping the homeless. It states nothing that requires individuals use the shelters on extreme weather nights. We have current shelter capacity for all those currents on the, currently on the street, yet we do not require them to use these services. Instead, this legislation is trying to take the will of the voters away. Thank you very much. Due... That's, your, that's your three minutes, Thanks appreciate so it.
0: Our next speaker in signed up in chambers is Marianna Thompson. I don't see her. Is she on Zoom, okay. Our next speaker is Amy Beck.
2: Good afternoon, City Council. My name's Amy Beck and I'm from Council District Lucky 7. Uh, I'm here tonight to ask you to pass the bill for the 32 degrees um i want to tell you a little bit of a story uh, about my friend danny maestas so every year i seem to face different challenges when i do my direct street outreach and this past uh, winter in january uh, i was trying to help my friend danny danny worked a job he worked at the one of the convenience stores stocking shelves he worked 7 p.m to midnight And on nights where there was severe weather, I would go pick Danny up at midnight and I would take him to the severe weather shelters. Uh, They weren't always open when we needed them to be, but they were there when we could take him. Uh, One night it didn't work for Danny. He didn't go. He ended up staying out on the street and he got frostbite on both of his feet and he had both of his feet amputated. So I promised Danny after that happened. I took him to a surgery and I promised him that he would never spend another night on Denver streets and he didn't Um, Fortunately, the coalition helped him find housing and uh, he got off the streets. He's now in housing. I wanted him to come tonight, but Danny doesn't leave his housing. Uh, He's been traumatized enough that he just stays in his housing all the time. He's so grateful for it. So I just want to ask what we're doing when we're leaving unhoused folks out in the cold. And what is the goal of that? What is the expected outcome when we choose to leave people out in the cold? And what is that costing the city of Denver and medical care? when we are providing um, that kind of care for people, amputations. Danny was not the only one I took this past spring. This past spring is when I started coming and talking to city council, and Danny was the reason why, because I just really think that we can do better than that, that um, being a little bit compassionate and giving 32 degrees, avoids a lot of the costs and the burden that we put on our healthcare system. I also wanna advocate for shelters that are, the emergency shelters that are open 24 seven. Right now they're open 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and 7 a.m. is the coldest point of the day. And that's where we transfer people out of emergency shelter and move them somewhere else or they go somewhere on their own.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks our next speaker in signed up in chambers is logan anderson
6: yeah good evening y'all owners go ahead i'm looking douglas i i was out there what 2015 with the snowstorm hit down denver and shut down, shut it down in a tent i know about the code here i'm also a vet. And there's 99.9 of us uh, veterans out here with families that's homeless. I also see homeless families out here almost every night. I'm out here also, but I do help the others when I can. If we need housing, just put us in housing ASAP, especially for vets beds in the families. That's all I have.
0: Thank you very much. Our next uh, speaker signed up in chambers, Gail Nordheim.
7: Hello, uh, my name is Gail Nordheim. I live in district seven. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you tonight. I'm here to urge the city council to modify building codes to phase out natural gas in single family homes. The first step should be to require that all new homes be all electric. There are many good reasons for requiring new homes to be all electric. All electric homes are less expensive to build and they are less expensive to heat than gas heated homes. They are healthier since emissions from gas appliances can have harmful effects on health. They will help reduce the nitrogen oxides and other pollutants generated by burning natural gas, which contributes to smog in Denver and the Front Range. A key reason though for transitioning to all electric homes is that it will help slow climate change. Natural gas is primarily composed of methane. The drilling and extraction of natural gas from wells and its transportation and pipelines results in significant leakage of methane. Methane is 86 times stronger than carbon dioxide in trapping heat over a 20 year period. So we need to sharply reduce the extraction of natural gas if we are to control global warming. Reducing the need for natural gas by making our homes all electric is something significant that we can do now to effectively combat climate change. It will help us keep global warming under control and help protect the future of our children, grandchildren, and all life on Earth. Prohibiting gas hookups for new homes should be an easy choice. Newly built clean energy homes in Denver generate 42% less climate pollution over 15 years than homes built with gas. The technology for all electric homes is here and it works. It will also be important to convert our existing housing to all electric. And there are a growing number of subsidy and tax credit programs available to help people with this conversion. However, many low income households will be unable to afford this transition governments at all levels as well as utilities must take the extra step to help low-income families get the benefits of all electric homes this includes financial support for purchasing heat pumps and other electric appliances it also includes support for insulation and other measures to make homes as energy efficient as possible thank you
0: thank you very much our next speaker signed up in chambers Therese howard
8: Hello, uh, Council, I'm Therese with the House Keys Action Network Denver. Um, For a few years, uh, in years past, I used to uh, help run or or you could call it manage uh, tent encampments uh, and extreme weather. So um, we would set up uh, tents um, and my colleagues, uh, either uh, Ray Lyle or Jerry Burton in particular, who were houseless at the time, Um, and rest in power, Ray Lyle, um, would manage that. So we would set them up and find folks who were uh, in the area who were freezing cold. So I would walk around the neighborhood and every time find people who were um, kicked out of a shelter, laying in the cold with nothing, people who were wandering the streets with nothing, um, people who were in desperate situations, um, right near the shelters who couldn't get in, were kicked out, the, the hours were too late um what have you um and we would walk them over to these tents where they could stay warm and dry um, and then um you know give them a warm sleeping bag and so on um part of the reason i share this is uh because the reality of staying in that tent um, which i did also um is that it was manageable you know you have you have the protection of the tent you have a warm sleeping bag it's manageable not not some warm cozy place uh, but somewhere that's survivable um, as opposed to being out without that tent. Um, the, the shitty part, or I'm sorry, the, the, the bad part about this um, is that uh, in the morning we would have to pack up these tents and all the things and move because if we didn't, we would be uh, forced to do so by police. Um, so earlier was stated that uh, police don't sweep in freezing weather, that's um, simply not true. Um, so uh, personally, I have uh, been a part of this uh, numerous times in past years and winters when I was out in these camps where we would get, um, up, cops would come up to the camp tell us we needed to pack up in the early morning freezing temperatures. Um, that's fine for someone like me who's able-bodied, not fine for the elderly and disabled folks that we were taking care of in these tents. Um, and then forced to you know drag these tents through the snow, try to find somewhere to take them. Um, That is a practice that continues, um, even as as there was a sweep last winter that happened in four degrees. Four degrees, city came in and swept an encampment. Um, That's not even to mention all of the sweeps that go on during camping ban enforcement um, that are are not recorded, that are in these freezing temperatures. Um, So uh, what I'd like to close with in my limited time um, is that uh, this is happening um, the safe, warm place is, needs to be stabilized. Um, and the shelters that folks are supposed to go to are not open and accessible. Um, and I don't have time to get into that, so I'll have to uh, close out, um, but just asking you to please vote in favor of the snow freezing, freezing sweeps full and the shelter bill Thank you very at, um, much. that is open 24 seven.
0: Our next speaker is Terry Washington. Terry Washington.
9: Council. My name is Terry Washington with House Keys Action Network, Denver. I'm here before you today because I'm here for the no, no sweeps in in the cold. Um, I've experienced some sweeps um, constantly at this point and it's horrible for to help everyone to move in the cold. It's very hard, um, forceful um it's very it's very um, difficult to move in the cold um also um, they have nowhere to go um when they try to go to warm shelters um, they're not open along uh, a long enough time so that they can be able to be warm um, I've seen a couple of the um People out here, I've seen amputated fingers, I've seen amputated arms, I've seen amputated feet um, in all of this cold. Um, I wish there was no um, moving in the encampments in the cold at all. The, the sweeps are horrible. And once again, um, they don't need to be doing them at all. Um, I'm standing here before you because I've seen too much horrible situations in these, in these temperature weather. And I just I just really wanted to come before you all to let you know that um, we, we're here for them to try to get some um, action done to keep all of this from ha- happening. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Our next speaker is joining us on Zoom, Jamie Ponce.
10: Hi, my name is Jamie Ponce and I'm speaking to you tonight because we need your support in District 8 and we need you to vote no on the emergency rezoning of the shelters along the Quebec corridor. 52% of the House 1000 initiative will be centralized in District 8. No other district is being asked to house more than 10% if they're receiving any units at all. We've been called NIMBYs and told that we're unsympathetic to unhoused people, which couldn't be further from the truth. What we're asking for is a viable plan with metrics for success, social services for mental health and addiction, and enough police support before this rezoning becomes permanent. The emergency rezoning of hotels in District 8 violates current zoning regulations, and for good reason. This rezoning will ensure the historically BIPOC community here will be redlined indefinitely. The current proposed number of shelters and concentration of poverty in District 8 doesn't make sense. District 8 simply can't absorb the sheer density of this vulnerable population with any level of success. This is good politics and bad policy. We've been speaking up and no one is hearing us. We need you to stand up for us and be our silenced voice to speak for our children, our schools, our small businesses and the unhoused. The Salvation Army shelter is currently operating at a one to 100 resident ratio with 90 shifts a week they can't fill now, yet the administration keeps promising these sites will be different. The wait lists for mental health and addiction services in Denver are already impossibly long who's going to fill these empty positions and empty promises police commanders share how hard police recruitment is and how they can't respond to the amount of calls they're getting now How are we going to staff the larger police force the mayor's promised. The arsenal surrounds us and we've had multiple fires in our green spaces and on our streets. How long will it be before one of these blazes ignites another Marshall fire here. We're a community that's still being built out without enough grocery stores and retail to support the residents here. How are we going to attract new retail willing to gamble on being in a high risk area. The mayor's office continues to point to Houston as proof as proof of housing first success but Houston took the time to get community buy-in In In district 8, We've been steamrolled. There's been no time, no pilot program, and no common sense. We're asking all of you to vote with your conscience. Is this really what's best for Denver and more specifically district eight, please vote no to pushing through these rapid zoning changes. Let them go through the required and necessary zoning process until we have metrics for success until we have a plan in place. If it fails, Please don't treat district eight as a social experiment that benefits 85% of the city to the detriment of the 15% of us that will bear the brunt of this rezoning effort. Please don't let this city council's legacy be permanently redlining district eight. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Alex Patia. Is Alex on zoom? No, Um, Jordan Ferguson Ferguson is jordan on zoom okay um brent gardner
1: hello council i've come today to talk about uh 23 1868 as it seems many as of have um specifically about raising temperatures from 20 to 32 degrees um, I think to some extent that makes sense. That's compassion. Uh, We don't want people to have to be out in the cold. Um, I don't want to split hairs about how cold is cold. Both of those sound pretty cold to me. I've been camping. But uh, what is in this bill that disturbs me greatly is that it goes against the will of 82% of Denver voters that have said that they support camping bans. And to say that we're not going to clear camps when it's below 32 degrees I just checked on denver.org before I came here. The city's site says that that is five months of the year. That's November through March. To include 33 degrees, that's seven months of the year. So we're talking about the majority of the time, overruling the rule, of the, the, rule the will of the people. Um, I just think that's unfortunate. I think it's already difficult to clear these encampments. Um, we looked at the ones by the post office. Uh, Mr. Johnson posted on his Twitter that that had been cleared. And if you tilt the camera 10 degrees, you see all the tents that are still there. There were still tents there last time I came by. We're already not able to clear these encampments. And it's, I live in Five Points in District 9. It's shutting down businesses. Uh, Daily, the conversation uh, with my peers in parks is about safety. To say that we can't clear these camps because of health and safety concerns, most of the year means that we can't enforce the laws that we already have on the books. So that's all I have to say. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Our next speaker joins us on Zoom. Randall Loeb.
6: Uh, Thank you. Um, I am going to talk about something I sent a message to you about, and that is our annual um, invitation to join us for the reading of those names of people who died from the last vigil on the winter solstice, December 21st, right outside your building on the east steps in front of the lights at 530 to seven. Unfortunately, we have done this for about 35 years. And actually longer than that, um, when you consider the fact um, that the Catholic worker had done it um, beforehand. And we would really like to see the public honor the people who lost their lives due to the fact that they were living in poverty and had no um, options and struggled and finally died um, who are homeless. I imagine that at one point someday I will be added to that list, hopefully not for many, many years. But I rise to basically ask you to ask everybody who you are associated with, your aides, your staff, your community, your neighbors, the people in the city hall or the mayor's office to come and join us hands in hands and have a night where we light a candle and honor those people who are homeless in our community. We have a, a an oak tree that we planted years and years ago outside of the Stout Street Health Center. It has grown immeasurably that says here is a place where our loved ones died who were homeless and we really honor their memory in this one occasion perhaps for many of them so i would urge you to come and join us and let us celebrate their lives thank you very much and godspeed
0: thank you very much our next speaker signed up in chambers eric hendrickson
3: the denver Hendricks, and i currently reside in district seven um as outlined in denver's vision zero action plan adopted in 2017 the city has been attempting to reduce and eventually eliminate all traffic-related deaths <clears throat> including pedestrian fatalities by 2030 Yet, despite the bold claims and promises made more and more people children loved ones are being murdered senselessly on denver streets every passing year uh, in fact 2022 saw a record number of 115 pedestrians Uh, murdered by vehicle operators (laughs) and as of October 27th 85 lives are lost this year so far it's probably up to down 90 now um so I'm going to ask is this acceptable and what can be done to help and and stop this from happening so I've been in touch uh, a couple weeks ago with Councilwoman Alvarez as well as other constituents from DRCOG, DOTI, Community Bike Advocates, through phone calls and emails about a systemic problem regarding the signal phasing of the intersections and associated pedestrian crossings uh, throughout the entirety of Denver. I call these uh, dangerous crossing murder zones um, because people die, they get run over. Pedestrians are being um, unwittingly guided and and directed into crosswalks with a white walking man symbol on on the pole signal at the same time as vehicular traffic is given a green light to drive directly through the same space. This is clear and obvious conflict, and is costing human lives. With a minor change, to the signal phasing at these crossings, of which there are countless examples throughout the cityscape, lives will be saved. These fully protected pedestrian crossing phases align perfectly with the ideals of Vision Zero, and could start to be addressed immediately if the willpower was there to force the change to happen. Uh, just thank you for your time, and if you want to get in touch with me or. Be great. Um, I'd also like to say uh, just a, a, in support of the, not clearing people off the street while it's freezing outside, I think that's humane and, and reasonable. So thank you for your time.
0: Thank you very much. We'll take time for one more speaker. We've got um, Ali Clark, who's signed up on Zoom. Zoom? Oh yeah, sorry, oh yeah,
11: sorry, sorry. Um, so I just want to say thank you um, to the council for giving me the time to the time to speak on this. My concerns my concerns about zoning code uh dispensaries off to residential properties properties um i live in Zenobia street directly next door to elite cannabis in district one the customers of the dispensary are consistently loud and destructive to my property. they leave their cars running with loud music loud mufflers diesel engines and shine their headlights into my house at all hours of operation whereas the lights are really only an issue at night. I've witnessed multiple times cars driving over the sidewalk into my yard and down my driveway as a way to enter and exit the parking lot. In fact, one almost hit me the other night when I was taking out my trash. Also, my fence has been um, destroyed by their customers three times now, and the dispensary dispensary's not offered to help to pay for or repair it. I've been threatened bodily harm by their customers when I politely ask them to turn their music down, and one night, one of their customers pulled a gun on a homeless man simply because the homeless man asked him for weed. Their customer parking is exactly 10 feet from the exterior of my house and less than one foot from my back patio. I'm unable to enjoy my outdoor living space due to the constant noise as well as exhaust fumes from their running vehicles, cigarette smoke, marijuana smoke, which they do smoke illegally in the parking lot. I've also had their customers peer over my fence while I'm sunbathing in my own backyard and catcall me. Basically, the incidents I've just stated do not cover everything, but are just some of the highlights. Operating a business next to a residential property should not impede on a tenant's right to peace and privacy. I find it appalling that there is no code written to, into the marijuana bylaws preventing them from operating within 10 feet of a residential property. Thank God I don't have children as they would not be able to play in their front or backyard. It's reached the point where I'm deeply considering moving from a neighborhood that I've loved for six years to a different city, which is something I should not have to even consider. It seems the Denver government cares more about the revenue businesses generate than it does its own taxing citizens. I filed complaints about all of these incidents with the dispensary manager of 311, police non-emergency, business and licensing, neighborhood association district one community resource officers district one councilwoman district four house representatives along with others i appreciate you looking into and reassessing the zoning codes regarding dispensaries operating next to residential properties thank you
0: thank you very much that concludes our general public comment session if we did not get to you today please join us next week or submit your comments in writing the next session will be held on monday december 18th Sign up begins at 11 a.m. on Friday, December 15th. We look forward to hearing from all of you again. Thank you for attending and stay with us for the Denver City Council meeting, which will start immediately.